Welcome to the Bermagui Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here you'll find the recording of messages from our weekly gatherings. We pray you'll be challenged and encouraged by today's message. So what I want to start with is, I'll put them up there just so you can see them as well. They're just the readings I've got for, for today. So our first one is John 13. So verse 34 to 35, I think that's what I put up there. So this is Jesus speaking. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I love just how simple yet profound that is. Just one, new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. And in that statement alone, showed that, well, you know, the way I love, that's, that's that's the example. Follow that. Our next one, which links in with our sermon today. 1 John chapter 2, so right towards the end of your Bibles there if you've got them. Verses 7 and 8. This is the Apostle John writing. Dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one you have had from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before. Yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment and you you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. So let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for today and I thank you for your word and I thank you for how amazing and complex it is. Yet at the same time, how simple and straightforward it is. Lord God, I pray today as I do share from 1 John that I can just show the simplicity of it, Lord God, but also just show how profound it is and how powerful it is. That each and every word you've given us, Lord God, has such richness and such depth, Lord God, that it can can transform who we are. In Jesus' name, amen. So a bit of a question to sort of start things off is that have you ever had Probably you find this with younger people. So a child or a, or a younger generation person come up to you and they're all excited about this new thing that they've discovered. A new trend or a new fashion or a new toy or a, you know, a new story or a new joke or something like that. But because of your wisdom, because of your experience, I won't put age in there, you, you graciously tell them, oh, well, actually... We had that back in this time, or we used to tell that joke when I was in school, or we used to have toys like that when I was a child. And how often there are things that this current generation goes, oh, wow, these are awesome. But we can actually look back and go, well, no, it's actually just a rehash of what was. And I don't know about you, I've had that. I'm not all that old. But my kids come from school and they say, oh, dad, guess what? There's this new, new, new joke or this new way of doing things. I used to do that when I was in school. They're like, what? 
they think it's something new. They think it, they think it was something amazing and different. And at times, I think sometimes we treat Scripture like that. Sadly, especially the evangelical church and the, the, the New Testament church has at times looked at the Old Testament and looked at what was before Jesus and go, well, you know, that, that's old and we, we, we don't need that anymore because we've got this new thing. But the fact is, what we have as New Testament believers, what we have as in, in the life and the expression of Jesus and all that we have in that first century church teaching in the, with the New Testament, yes, it is new, but it's new because of what was. It's a progressive revelation of what God was already doing throughout the Old Testament. And sadly, at times, churches have gone way too far on this journey and going, oh, well, we don't need the Old Testament anymore. Problem is, you're only getting half the story. You're only getting this snippet when we've got the Old Testament to actually build and, and strengthen and, and bring resolve to all that we believe and all that we are as believers in Jesus Christ through the Old Testament. It paints the whole picture. And that's one of the points that John is getting at in here. And we are returning. Last, last week we, we diverged for a week because it was Anzac Day and I felt to share something slightly different for that. But two weeks ago, I started us on this journey of an interview with St. John, an interview with the Apostle John. If we could have him here, if I could put him on a stool next to me and start to question him and start to get him to share his heart, what would he say to us? And the fact is we can only do that so well because we've only got what he wrote down for us. But let's spend some time in it and just sort of just see what John would say to us in, in our context, in, in, in our time. How would, he, how would he express himself? How would he try and present his case or his point that he wants to make? So I guess the recap is, is that, you know, when I started this, I, I shared who John was, that he was, he was one of the earliest apostles that Jesus called, or disciples. You know, one of the early ones, Jesus said, come follow me. And John was one of the fishermen. And I think here in Bermagui, you know, if you've been here for a while, you'd, you'd, you'd know a few fishermen about you. And sometimes, especially those ones that are, you know, they're career fishermen, they're, they're pretty tough blokes. They're pretty, pretty salt of the earth sort of guys. And I could picture John being like that, that he would have just been, you know, called a spade a spade, you could say. But we see John develop and grow in this relationship with Jesus and then his, the, the realisation of all that Jesus is and who he was. And he becomes one of the pillars of the, of the early church. And he really is just one of these foundational members. And he's throughout the New Testament, throughout the book of Acts, the development of the early church. And he starts this letter. And so I shared a little bit about where we think this letter came from. The fact is there's not a lot of information about who it was written to or why it was particularly written. But letters and things like that weren't written just for any reason. They weren't just, oh, hey, how are you? You know, paper was expensive back in that time. And so to write a letter and to send it out was a, a decent effort. It was a big effort on behalf of the person to sort of say, no, this is important. We need to address these, these issues. And because it's not addressed to any one particular person, we feel that it was written as a circulatory letter. It's to be handed around the churches. So say, no, the Apostle John, you know, the, the one that was walking and talking with Jesus, he's got something to say to all of us. 
So let's get this letter and let's make sure everyone can see what it's got to say, because he's addressing some key issues going on in the development of the church. And so when you look at 1 John, and I encourage you, you know, over these next couple of weeks, I started with this and I don't know who, who did, but go home and read over it. It's only a short letter. It's only a couple of, what, five verses, or five chapters, sorry. Not very long, but read it as a letter. Read it from start to finish. You know, we, we put chapters and, and verse numbers in the Bible to help us sort of find a place when we're looking for a particular spot. But the letters weren't written like that, were they? They were written as a letter. Start here, finish here. So I encourage you, read it in, in whole and try and get the context and try and get the, the feel for what John was wanting to do with this letter. But throughout the letter, we see three main themes and we're going to sort of come back to these throughout these next couple of weeks. Is that he focuses on, you know, what does it look like to live righteously and what does it look like to live unrighteously? And he uses a lot of contrast. He uses a lot of language that sort of says, you know, it's like light and darkness. It's like life and death. It's like love and hate. He uses these stark contrasts to paint a picture of what it means to to live a life of righteousness or not. He speaks about brotherly love as a central thing. So it's going, no, come on, let's let's not lose track of who we are and why we exist. And that is to love one another. And he also corrects some ideas around who Christ is. So he corrects the church's Christology, their understanding of who Christ is and what he said and what he was meaning for the church. So we looked at the first little part of the first chapter of John there. And in this, I'm not going to go through every verse. I'm just sort of grabbing a few sections to sort of share over the next couple of weeks. And that's what I'm saying. I encourage you, read the whole thing so you get the context. But on Sundays, we'll sort of just pull a section apart to see how we go. So today we're in chapter 2. So the section I want to read first is part of the reading that I just read there, starting from verse 7. I'll read it again. Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one that you've had from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before, yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you are living it. For the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. If anyone claims I'm living in the light, but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. This is why I started with that question and that getting your, your thoughts around, you know, a, a younger person coming up saying, oh, I found this new thing. So already in the first century of the church, John's sort of saying, you know, remember what the, the core of what we've been taught, to love one another. And Jesus himself said, no, it's a new commandment. So John's sort of saying, look, I heard Jesus say this. When Jesus said, no, if I could tell you to do any one thing, do this, love one another. And John's saying, you know, Jesus said that was a new thing because he was demonstrating what that looked like in a new and dynamic and powerful way. But don't forget where it came from. It's been there since the beginning. And honestly, I think if you look at the, the story of Scripture and the, the theme of Scripture, the fact is from the very birth of mankind, 
that was, that was God's intention for us to love one another, to love him, to be in relationship with him. And so with Adam and Eve, what happened? Satan stepped in, got him to question God and got him to question, does God really love them? Does he really have all their best interests at heart? So he questioned their love for God. And then look at Cain and Abel. A seed was sown in there, you know, that divided them and no longer love for one another. And here we have the first murder. So from the very dawn of mankind, you can almost see this, God just was saying, come on, if you just got this one thing, we'd get it right. And throughout the, all of Scripture, you can see that same thread, that same idea that God's just was saying, come on. If you look to me and love one another, you'll get it right. You'll get there. It'll come together. But the reason why he says, you know, this is something we've had since the beginning. So speaking to Jewish people, he says, come on, you know, you know the stories. You know how far back this goes. But even to Gentile believers and New Testament believers, we can look at this and John would be saying, no, come on, this is what drew you to Christ. I don't know about you, but, you know, even for someone that grew up in the church, it was the, the, the realization that God loves me. That brought me to him. I don't know about you, but that, that, that really is one of the keys, isn't it? How many of us can recite John 13? For God so loved the world, that God so loved me. It's been there since the beginning of our journey. So in that sense, it's old, it's, it's, it's foundational. But he's saying it's also new. Why? Because Jesus set such an example Yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment. So John's sort of saying, look, I was there with Jesus. He started the letter with that. I walked with him. I heard him. I touched him. And he lived this love one another in such an amazing, powerful, dynamic way that it was just like it blew his mind. As if it was something brand new. That's the Jesus we follow. That's the Jesus that we aspire to be like. That he turned his community on its head by his love. He did all this. Just let me read this statement I wrote down. That he turned the Jewish community on his head. He turned commandments that have been a list of to-dos into a broken heart condition. He pointed out that putting on the right face just shone a light on our sinfulness. He showed how actions were just an extension of our thoughts and that those were more unrighteous than we would like to admit. Because the Jewish community, they, 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 they had these commands from God already, you know, to love him and to love one another. And even the religious leaders could highlight that. You know, Jesus asked them, okay, well, you tell me, what, which, which laws are the most important? And the Pharisees could go, well, yeah, love God and love others. And Jesus said, yeah, good point, because all the laws tie into those. But the problem is the community had lost sight of that and just made a list of to-dos. If you just tick these boxes and make sure you do the right things on the surface, it doesn't matter what your heart condition is. It doesn't matter what your thought life is. But Jesus flips that and goes, no, if you even hate someone in your thoughts, you've murdered. 
if you've even looked lustfully at a woman or a man, you've committed adultery. Like that's, that's huge. He changed the whole perspective of what righteousness truly was. Why? Because he wanted to demonstrate that we had to rely on God. It's nothing we could do in our own strength. No amount of doing the right thing on the surface could ever address that. We had to have redemption through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He did all this. So he did all that. He turned, turned, turned the world upside down. But he didn't do it through breaking the law. He didn't do it disrespectfully or, or in rebellion. He did all this but lived the law the way that God intended He was the manifestation of love, obedience, mercy, and faith. He showed how life could be and should be. And John got to watch it. Again, if John was sitting here, I could just imagine him beaming, going, you just wouldn't believe it. I can't can't put it in the best words because it was just so incredible to watch Jesus live life so perfectly, so amazingly, so in tune with God's heart. It was as if it was something brand new. I want to read the next little section. John actually gets a little bit poetic here, you could almost say. I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. I've written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I've written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I've written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your heart and you've won the battle with the evil one. It's an interesting little section. And as I said, it's it's almost quite poetic because it's got this repetition and this this triplet, triplet message. And there's so many things we could draw from this. And you know, I went through some of the, the commentaries and that sort of thing to see what other people have said about it. And it's interesting because the, the language in it, the, the, going back to the Greek of it, you know, at the start of his letter, because John is in his elder years and at, the, at the time of writing this, he actually calls everyone his children. He says, all, all you my children. But he's speaking more metaphorically there. So he's saying, you know, because you know, I'm, I'm a father of the church, you feel like children to me. But in this section... He's actually addressing age. The words used and the language used is also saying, you know, hey, young people, under 20s, little children, he calls them. And he says to them, because your sins, you know, I'm writing to you because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus Christ. He's still saying, no, come on. Know from the start of your journey that, that Jesus has looked after your sins. They're taken care of. But then he talks to those mature in the faith, our elders, our elderly, dare I say that word. (laughs) He's sort of saying, no, I'm writing to you because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. You've got this understanding, this depth. And you who are young in the faith, the the language there is actually talking to fathers, men, the adults of the community, men and women. He's saying, yeah, keep powering on. You've defeated the, the evil one. 
And the reason why he wrote it in this way is that he's sort of saying, no, this is for all ages. What I'm saying today, what I've got in this letter for you is not just for the elders. It's not just a new message for the, for the younger generation. This is for all. So this commandment to love one another is for everyone. No matter what age, no matter what stage in your journey of faith is, remember the foundation. Remember the key to it all. Love God and love one another. And he sort of ties in this last little section before he changes to a slightly different theme. This is verses 15 to 17. He says, Do not love the world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our own achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. And here again, we see this contrasting language that he uses. He's saying, yeah, make sure you love one another, but don't love the world. In the start of this section, he sort of said, yeah, if you hate a fellow believer, you don't have the love of the Father in you. So I can imagine John, again, sitting here on this stool. I can imagine him being one of these sorts of people that are just black and white. That calls a spade a spade, as I said, that, that salt of the earth sort of character that would just go, no, come on. Don't dilly-dally on this. Don't, don't, don't fudge the edges. So if you love God, let it be in such a way that this world just doesn't count. And what I'm getting at here is that it's not that we don't enjoy this world while we're here. It's not that we don't enjoy the possessions that God blesses us with here. Because I believe God is a generous God. I believe God is a God that provides all our needs and meets our wants and even gives the desires of our heart. But it's got nothing to do with what really counts. This side of eternity, as Scripture says, is like dust. Here at one moment, gone the next. He reminds us that the things of this world are nothing in the light of our relationship with Christ. None of the possessions, the positions, pleasures or pride have value or meaning in our relationship with God. So it's this contrast he's painting. So say, no, this is the priority. This is the goal that we have. Love God. You know, the possessions and the, the, the things of this world, in light of that, don't have, don't have anything. And as I said, God, I believe God does provide all that we need and blesses us with things to enjoy and, and, and find fulfilling in this physical world. But that's not the why we are in this world. Yeah. You know? Gaining possessions, gaining pleasures and experiences and gaining you know, achievements in this life is not why we're here. 
That's not why God made man. It's part of the story because he's a generous God and he's a creative God and he's an amazing, loving father that does just desire the best for his children. But it's not why. And really, push comes to shove. This is why. For those of you that have grown up in the church, especially more the, the traditional churches, who grew up reciting the catechisms? <laughs> who can tell me the first one? Yeah. Yeah, some, some haven't. So depending on what you grew up with, there was different ways of doing it. And so one of the ways the catechisms would learn was a question answer thing. So the person at the front would ask the question, what is the chief end of man? Yeah. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I love that. <laughs> you must have learned something. Lynn. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't grow up with those. These are things I've discovered, I guess, in, in later life in my studies and just going, oh, wow, yeah, churches have done things differently. I grew up in Pentecostal church, and so we didn't have those things that have, have been around for a long time. And I'll tell you what, there's some such solid truth, foundational things in some of these things. And the fact is, you know, these have been around since met Martin Luther, you know, 14th century. And he did this because it was the best way to learn. You know, I ask you a question, you repeat the answer. I ask you a question, you repeat the answer. And it helped people learn. And that first one, I just love that you know, that was what he started with. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Yeah, when it all comes to an end, that's why we're here. The meaning of life. The meaning of life. <laughs> yeah. But to glorify God. Yeah, he... he he created this world. He created this universe in all its vastnesses and all its glory. To just go, this is who I am. He's not big noting himself. He's, he's bigger than that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? He didn't, he didn't have to do that because he's God. But he does it just to go, this is who I am. This is how great and vast I am. This is how majestic and mighty and powerful I am. And you guys, you know, the pinnacle of my creation, made in my image, mankind, you're my crowning glory. And I want you to enjoy all that I am, all that I have. And John, if you're sitting here doing that, he would wrap it up with that. Just sort of saying, no, that's why. Love one another. Get that right. Do that right. Focus on that. Make that your priority. And you'll enjoy all that the Father has in store for you. And as you said, you use the light-dark contrast there again. Yeah, when we discover that, it's as if we are now in the light. And he's saying because of Jesus Christ, we have that light. Now, prior to Jesus, they were still in that darkness going, God, what are you really getting at? What was, what, what's the end goal of all that you're doing with us? And we have the pleasure and the privilege of being part of the church that has seen the full scope and the full picture 
of all that God intended for us. We have the light of the sun. And not our physical sun, but the sun of God. Shining his light upon us to go, this is what it's all about. Love me. Love one another. Love God. Love one another. We've finally been brought into the light of his revelation, of the whole outworking of his plan, thanks to the Son. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this message and I thank you for all that your scripture holds for us. And I pray, God, that you just continue to lead us, continue to guide us into all that you've got in store for us. I believe, Lord God, every waking moment of our lives, Lord God, is filled with purpose and meaning. And I pray, God, that we can just have an open heart and an open mind to see every opportunity you bring to us, Lord God, to love those around us, to love you and to enjoy you. And I pray that our lives can bring glory to you. In your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen.